Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. This is Dr. Dan, and we are back with Bob Kappelman. And thanks, Bob, for being a guest on Freedom Forum Radio. You know, in a way, the Industrial Revolution saved humanity because it increased the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere to get it up to 440 parts per million so we could grow enough food to for all the people here who are on earth uh, because you're absolutely right and and people just they just have to understand the implications of what these evil people are trying to do in taking over the world saving themselves and killing us all off uh they they just have to realize the, the fact is is that carbon dioxide is not the enemy. It's essential for all life on Earth. Uh, that it is necessary, and if if carbon dioxide goes down to the point where there is no where plant life suffers, then everyone dies, including us, because without plant life, there is no food at all. We eat, whether we eat a hamburger or whether we eat a carrot, it all comes from carbon dioxide making plants grow. Uh, so there seems to me that that there has to be a massive re-education because we cannot continue to just sit idly by and allow generation of, of kids to be taught something that is complete and total rubbish about how the earth works. Oh, definitely. And, and how do you, how do you do that? The thing is you're getting one side of the story. I, I like the debate of ideas where you, you tell me why you think carbon dioxide is the enemy. You allow me to take, take the side of why carbon dioxide is not, the enemy and have the best facts on, on both sides that you can get. And then, uh, you know, the, the other thing is you've got to get critical thinking back into the curriculum. You've got to, uh, you know, there's a certain percentage of people that have what they call horse sense, common sense, but it's not, not that common critical thinking and logical thinking can be taught. There's some people that just have a built-in BS meter. And they can tell when something doesn't make make sense. But the education system, I'm finding college graduates that get out of school, haven't had a course in philosophy, haven't had a course in logic, haven't had a course in critical thinking. 
and and they're out there, you know, uh, voting, having. <laughs> but this start this stuff is starting with the kids. There there are books out there teaching them how bad carbon dioxide is. I I wonder whether they even teach photosynthesis anymore. I don't I don't know. But uh, the, the 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 reason I run into people our age that are are just naturally skeptical of this it doesn't make sense. Now I find it an exception to that, but they've lived long enough to see the changes that they uh, yeah I've seen that before. I, yeah, I remember the drought of so and so. I remember this. These kids coming out, they've got a very short view span you know, of life right now. And so if they've got everyone talking about the earth's going to end Armageddon, there's only 10 more years left in the earth, you panic them. They don't have anything to know. Well, wait, I heard that before. I heard these wild claims before on environmental changes that turned out not to be true. They, they don't have that historic background, but they could learn from history if someone would be teaching them the things that we found. And I think that's a really good point, Robert, is that older people have a perspective. And it makes that perspective makes it easier to be able to separate the wheat from the chaff. Uh, makes it easier to separate out what's what's true, what's false, what's likely to be false, and what's likely to be true. And to be able to sort of put those things in their proper perspectives, because they have the long view from the past, and they're able to judge the future by it. When you were talking about models, it, it was kind of interesting to me um, what what they're trying to, you know, they're trying to be able to tell the future uh, is really what what all this modeling is about. Uh, and I understand wanting to be able to plan for the future. Uh, and I think, obviously, we all try in our own lives to plan for the future. But there are some things in the, in the that we have the ability to plan for in our own future, like our financial futures, our educational futures, uh, things of that nature. We we go through the normal human ways of making sure that we are secure, that we have a good job, that we can put money away for retirement, uh, raise a family and do all of those things. That's the kind of planning that most of us regular people do and, and understand the necessity for. Um, but when you start talking about models long-range models, 30, 50, 100-year models, um, I'm wondering why. Why? What is the need for that kind of prediction? Who needs to be able to predict what's going to happen 100 years from now or 50 years from now? Why is that important? Uh, and I think the answer, the answer to me is obvious. The people who want that kind of planning, uh, they know that it's completely false. They know up front that it's a hoax, that it's a ruse, and they are doing that for only one purpose, 
and that's control. They want, they are greedy, and they are power-hungry, and they are using these fake predictions of the future in order to gain power and, uh, obviously, financial security for themselves. Well, you know, follow the money always is a good good thing to put in the mix when you're trying to evaluate something. And if you look at it, uh, if I was GE and I had some of the best, most efficient wind turbines in the world, I would certainly be uh, going to hawk the fact that I don't uh, put any CO2 emissions out. If I was the nuclear industry, I would emphasize uh, the evil carbon dioxide doesn't come out of my nuclear plant. You know, if I was uh, selling solar voltaic uh, systems, I would talk about it's it's to my economic advantage to have carbon as the villain on that. So you have to start looking at the motives of these companies. Uh, you've, you've now got the, the UN, uh, you know, coming up with this uh, uh, and and all the banks getting in on this, uh, you know, in uh, ESG, Environment Social Governance Ratings. And I think I, I mentioned the fact that Sierra Lanka got the highest rating, you know, in the world of all the world countries because of uh, destroying their agricultural uh, products, uh, their production. Uh, you know, so the, thank goodness the U.S. has a, a rating in about the 50s because we still use, uh, you know, fertilizer to increase crop productions and doing, doing some things like that. But why, why would America want to destroy their economic dominance in, in manufacturing, in agriculture? I mean, I, we're a big uh, exporter of agriculture. You know, why would we destroy our energy production industry when our, so much of our foreign policy, our, our failed foreign policy, has been driven by the need to import uh, fuel, you know, maybe the Middle East, which it once we got to be energy independent, we could change the whole uh uh, defense strategy, the whole foreign policy strategy with energy independence, uh, being able to supply Europe with fossil fuels and uh, not making them, not that, that, you, that you get them independent of, say, Russia, but now you have a competitor which keeps the Russians honest. Why would you give all that up? Why? It makes very little sense unless you really don't like the fact that America is the leading country in the world. If you really just want it to be another country, you know, uh, which we had an administration not that long ago that thought America shouldn't be the leader of the world. They should follow. And who should lead? The United Nations. That is scary. Uh, I, I look at uh, this climate thing is similar to the COVID thing in the sense that in COVID now, the, the, the works are on, and you're familiar with this, to let the World Health Organization set the world standards for dealing with pandemics. I personally think that's a, a bad idea. 
but you also have the United Nations leading the world effort to save us from climate change. And I think that's a bad idea. But this is where you're going. You're going globalism versus nationalism. It, it boils down to both of those major issues where you're using pretty bad science. You're using outcome-based science in COVID. You're using outcome-based science in the, uh, the global uh, climate change, the anthropogenic, you know, man-caused climate change. Both of those are driven by outcome-based science, and both of those lead to America giving its sovereignty over to the UN. I mean, that—that's where you, you look at all the all the things. It goes that simple. You know, you've got either a nationalist. Uh, the world is better when America is a strong country. Uh, you've got the other opinion that uh, the world is better when America is just another country. And that's that's the issue that people need to wake up to, because it, it kind of makes sense when you look at the outcome-based science used in both both of these major impacts, you know, on you uh, on the U.S. over the last. This is Dr. Dan, and we are back with Bob Kappelman. And thanks, Bob, for being a guest on Freedom Forum Radio. The the basic problem is is that there is evil in the world. Uh, not everyone is good. Not every country is good. Not every person is bad or whatever. But there certainly are countries on Earth who would very, very, very much like to be king of the world. Uh, the United States, while it's not the perfect nation, we certainly have been a force for good for most of our existence over the last 250 years or so. And if we were not the top dog on earth, that would create a power vacuum. And we unfortunately know that the people who would step into that power vacuum would not have humanity's best interests at heart. Um, it, is, it is a false hope to think that good will prevail uh, in a power vacuum situation. And I think uh, that's unfortunately what so many of our le leaders uh, currently, that's their thinking. Or uh, I don't know what else their thinking is because it is completely irrational when it comes to this entire subject. So Bob Kappelman, how about give me a, a couple of minutes worth of sum up. What, whatever you have to say about climate change, in any respect, let's have it. Well, first, the climate is changing. It always is changing. It'll continue to change. Uh, and some of this stuff with the natural rate of cl climate change may not be what we would like to see because we're going to have to adapt. I look at my state of Florida. We're, we're, we live on a barrier island. Uh, uh, Florida used to be 25,000 years ago, 600 miles wide, 10,000 years ago, we were down to 400 miles wide. Now we're about 150, 
miles wide. And I would think probably uh, my house right now, I'm between the intercoastal waterway and the Atlantic Ocean. Um, I'm a thousand feet away from being waterfront property on one side and 800 feet from being waterfront property on the other side. Uh, I would think probably another four or 5,000 years, uh, I, I would have waterfront property. Uh, the change is, is occurring. It's been occurring since the end of the last ice age. So two things have been occurring. The oceans have risen uh, and the temperature has gone up. But with the increasing temperature, uh, you're getting more productivity, uh, more growth, uh, the increased CO2. Uh, there's still a debate on whether man's uh, 7% or less of the total emission uh, flux, they call it, of up and down and in the ocean and, you know, decomposition, the whole, it's a, a, a you know, the people that are listening, if they want to go and Google, they can still get uh, the uh, the carbon cycle, world carbon cycle in graphic form. And you look at that and you say, well, gee whiz, wait a minute. You know, we're, we're seven, seven billion tons a year and mother nature is we're, we're less than 5% of the total. Can we be driving the whole bus can moving from uh, 250 parts per million? Uh, you know, it sounds like a big deal, but if you're talking about going from 0.25% pre-industrial to 0.42%, now, how much can that percentage, you know, actually drive things, drive the bus, so to speak? You know, is the science really there? We, we know that the outcome-based science can give you any answer that you want, but it's sometimes time for common sense. Well, you know, Bob, I was just thinking while you were talking that, uh, uh, you know, they want to get rid of everything that causes, that will cause the uh, the temperature to rise. And of course, the current uh, the current uh, scapegoat is carbon dioxide and the carbon molecule. But in truth, the largest the largest um, uh, gas in the atmosphere uh, that traps heat is water vapor. So wouldn't it be really uh, a better idea to try to get rid of water? Uh, well, I, I think <laughs> you need to stop watering your lawn. Uh, you know, this thing. Yeah, water vapor uh, is responsible for about, depending on the, the humidity and stuff, you know, 90, 95%, sometimes 96% of the total warming. If we didn't have the greenhouse gas effect, we would be an ice planet. So right. we're, we're actually blessed by having uh, the greenhouse gas effect. Uh, no. You know, without it, uh, we would uh, we'd be icicles. Well, you know, so you and I better stop talking about that, because if if the U.N. starts to understand that that water vapor is the largest greenhouse gas in the world, you know what's next. They're going to want to eliminate water. I mean, that's obviously got to be the next step. Anyway, Bob Kappelman, it is always a pleasure to have you on Freedom Forum Radio. 
Thank you so very much. Uh, this was a very, very important discussion. Get off the sofa, everybody. You must start taking action. Talk to your children and your grandchildren. They've got to listen, and they've certainly got to understand. Thank you, Bob Kappelman. I appreciate your being a guest on Freedom Forum Radio. Really enjoyed it, Dr. Dan. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Everything, everything, everything.